إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so we were on the section which was looking at the conditions of the prayer. The first condition of the prayer we mentioned was the time that a person must ensure he prays within the allotted times for every prayer. The second condition we mentioned Purification, that a person must be upon purification to pray. If he requires to make a ghusl, then so be it, make the ghusl first. He requires just wudu, then go make the wudu first. Purification is required. The third condition that we had moved on to was... So ensuring that there is no impurity on three things. Your body, your clothes, and the place where you actually pray. What was the evidence we mentioned that you cannot have purity on, uh, impurity on your clothes? There was a proof we mentioned from the sunnah which highlights the impermissibility of praying with impurity on your garments. The shoes hadith. The hadith where the Prophet wasallam was praying in his shoes one day, leading everybody else in prayer. During the prayer, he took his shoes off. Everybody else took their shoes off too. At the end of the prayer, he said to them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, why did you take your shoes off? They said, because we saw you take your shoes off, so we took our shoes off. So then he explained to them that the reason why he took his shoes off during the prayer was, because Jibreel Alayhi Salam had come to him during the prayer and told him that there was some impurity in his shoes. So he took them off because it is not permissible to pray with impurity on your garments, shoes included. What about impurity on the ground? That is, I think, where we reached. Impurity on the ground. Where you pray, that area you pray on has to be pure. You cannot pray on an impure area. What is the proof that the area has to be pure? There was the hadith about the, the Bedouin who came and urinated in the corner of the mosque. And the companions, they were going to be severe with him. But the Prophet ﷺ told them to leave him. And then at the end he explained to him that these masajid, they are places of worship. And that it is not permissible to disrespect the masajid and to engage in any activity of this nature. And the body, the body of course too, 
a person has to ensure that there is no impurity on his body when praying. So three things altogether. An issue now. If a person prayed, then after the prayer, once he's finished, just after he finishes, he remembers he never had wudu. He prays, finishes, then remembers all of a sudden he didn't have wudu. So what you gonna tell him? Pray again. Do wudu would be a good idea first. So do the wudu again and then pray again. What if he says, but, but, I forgot. It was out of forgetfulness. And Allah says in the Quran, لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا Do not hold us accountable if we forget. He says it was just forgetfulness. I forgot, I never intended it. Out of forgetfulness, I just forgot and I prayed. I shouldn't have to repeat now. You got to say to him, Absolutely. You have to say to him, it's not acceptable. Because purification is a condition of the prayer you've been commanded to perform. You must perform the purification before you can pray. If you forget to perform the purification before praying, then you have missed that command you've been given. Command to go and purify yourself. Before you can pray, you've missed the command, you've missed the condition of the prayer. So you got to purify yourself and then repeat the prayer. A person prays, finishes his prayer, then at the end of the prayer, just as he's giving salam, and he gives salam, and then he remembers this wet patch. His kid had urinated on him just before, half an hour before the prayer. He remembers it, it's still a bit wet there. He sees it now. He thinks that was the urine. Now what are you going to tell him? He's just prayed with an impure garment with urine on his garment. Doesn't have to repeat his prayer. You're saying he doesn't have to repeat his prayer? So... With regards to this scenario, he doesn't have to repeat his prayer. The first scenario he did, you might say, what, why is the difference? Somebody forgot to make wudu, you're telling him, no, you gotta go make wudu and pray again. Somebody forgot to remove the impurity, you're telling him, you're okay. How come the difference? With regards to the wudu issue, there is a clear hadith where the Prophet said, لا يقبل الله صلاة أحدكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ Allah will not accept the prayer of one of you if your wudu breaks until you go and make wudu. Clear hadith. So if your wudu is broken, your prayer cannot be accepted until you go make wudu. That's clear. But what about this second situation then? 
a person forgot to remove the impurity, forgot. At the end of the prayer, then he realizes it's there. He forgot about it. Or he just didn't know and just realized at the end of the prayer. You're going to say, no, it's okay, you don't have to repeat, why not? <coughs> What's a proof? Who can give us some sort of proof? Semen isn't najasa. That, that hadith cannot be used as a proof. Semen is not najasa. Hadith of the shoes again. How is that a proof? That if somebody didn't realize they had najasa on their clothes, after the prayer they realize, you don't have to tell them to repeat the prayer. How is the shoes hadith a proof? Because look at that hadith. The Prophet ﷺ was praying that day, leading them in prayer. He was the Imam, there were loads of people behind him. He was leading the prayer. In the middle of the prayer, Jibreel comes and tells him that there's some impurity on your shoes. So that impurity was on his shoes from the very beginning of the prayer. It's not like he got the impurity on whilst praying. The impurity was there from the beginning, before. He only became aware of the impurity during the prayer. Maybe one raka'ah had gone by then. Maybe two raka'at had gone by then. That's when he realized. As soon as he realized, he did remove the shoes. Because he can't pray in impurity. However, did he repeat the first raka'ah at the end? Get up and pray one more raka'ah. Because the first raka'ah, he had prayed with the impurified shoes. Did he make up that beginning raka'ah or the beginning two raka'at? where he had been praying in those impure shoes, did he make them up at the end? If he made them up at the end, then you could say that a person who prays with impurity, you got to tell him to get up and pray again. He never made them up in the end. So those two raka'at or the first raka'at or however much it was, where he prayed with impurity on his shoes, it counted. He didn't realize... Didn't remove that impurity, started praying, only realized midway through the prayer, the initial part of the prayer counted. He didn't have to make it up at the end, he didn't make it up at the end. Indicating that if somebody prays and they don't realize they got some impurity on their garment, you finish praying, then you realize there's this impurity here, your prayer is valid. You don't have to now go and repeat that prayer. The fourth condition there. First condition was the time. Second condition was purification. You got to be on purification. Third condition was you got to make sure there is no impurity on your clothes, on your body, on the floor. Fourth condition, the aura, satrul aura. How much of your body do you have to cover up? What type of clothes do you have to wear for your prayer to be valid? That's a condition of the prayer. You can't just pray however you want in whatever clothes you want. There are certain types of clothes you have to wear for your prayer to be valid. It is a condition of the prayer. Covering the aura as it is known as. Covering that particular area of the body. And it differs for men 
for women, for kids, how much of the body, what area of the body must be covered for the prayer to be valid differs. From a man to a woman to a child differs. Allah said in the Quran, Ya Bani Adam, خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنْدَ كُلِّ مَسْجِدٍ وَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا وَلَا تُصْرِفُوا O sons of Adam, mankind, take your beautification at the mosques. Meaning, cover yourselves and have your garments on the appropriate and correct garments for the prayer. The question is, what are these correct garments for the prayer? What are these body parts that you must have covered in the prayer? You can think of this in three categories. Three categories. There is one type of body area that is known as the severe aura, the high level aura. Areas that must be covered. You cannot expose them ever. Publicly. You can own, between the spouses, that's something else. Outside of that, you can never expose these areas. High level covering. What is that? It is with regards to the women. What? The whole body except the hands and the face. The whole body except the hands and the face. Auratul Mar'a Al Hurra Al Baliha in Najamiya Badaniha Aura Fisala illa wajhiha. Wahtalafu fil kafini wal kadamin. We're talking about the prayer to start with. Not outside publicly in the prayer. In the prayer, the woman must cover all of her body. The only exception is the face. Even having her hands uncovered is different about. Most scholars say the hands is okay. You don't have to wear gloves or nothing. Most scholars say the hands is okay. So the face can be uncovered and the hands can be uncovered. Every other part of the woman's body should be covered, must be covered when praying. According to many and majority of the scholars, including the feet. Everything else must be covered for the woman. The only thing that can be left open in the prayer for the woman is the face and the hands. The rest of the body must all be covered. That is the highest level of covering when it comes to the covering of the prayer. The highest level of covering required is by the adult woman who must cover everything. The only exception, hands and face. So what type of garment does it have to be? There are two conditions for the garments. One is it's got to be baggy and loose so that the shape of the body cannot be identified. That is one condition for the types of clothes you wear when praying. It's got to be loose and baggy so that the shape of the body cannot be identified. Second condition. What is the second condition of clothes for the prayer? It's gotta be material that is thick enough so that you cannot see the color of the skin below it. If somebody is wearing a garment which is so thin that even without seeing their face, you just look at them 
and it's so thin the garment you can tell what race that person is just looking through his garment and you can see he's uh, Asian, he's this, he's that, he's whatever. If it is that thin that the color of your skin can be identified through it, then that is not sufficient as a garment to wear during the prayer. Two conditions then. It's got to be thick enough that it conceals the color of your skin through it. You can't see the skin through it. And secondly, it's got to be baggy enough that it does not identify the shape of your body. So the woman now, she's got to cover the whole of her body during the prayer except the face and the hands. The garment that she wears is going to have to be something baggy and loose that does not identify the shape of her body. Can't be something tight. Can't put on like a tight dress and pray and say the whole of my body, everything is covered. If it's a tight dress and the shape of the body can be identified, it's no good. Needs to be a loose garment that covers the whole body. A loose garment that covers the whole body that does not identify the shape of the body. She's standing. You can't see the shape of her body. It's just a loose garment coming off her. Loose garment, you can't identify the shape of her body. That is one thing. Secondly, the garment needs to be thick enough that you cannot see the color of the skin through the garment. So when a woman's praying at home, for example, she doesn't necessarily have to wear the clothes that she wears when she goes outside. The full jilbab and everything, don't have to. It could be a big loose dress, no problem. As long as it is loose and doesn't identify the shape of the body, and it is thick enough material, doesn't identify the skin of the color, you can wear it. Big loose dress, no problem. You wouldn't wear that dress outside, you wouldn't wear it outside, then you'd cover yourself with the other appropriate garments, but for the purpose of the prayer in your home, concealed from the eyes of the public in your home, big loose dress, not identifying the shape of your body, not identifying through it the color of the skin, permissible to wear. Any type of big loose garments, loose clothing, that fulfills those two conditions they can wear. They don't have to start putting on all of their outside garments to pray at home inside. Not necessarily. If they don't have anything properly loose like that, all of their inner clothes, the inside clothes are a different nature, they're not really loose and baggy ones, then okay, put the outside garment on and pray. But if you got normal inside home clothes that are loose and baggy and, and they don't see the skin through them, you could just wear them without having to put the outside garment on. Permissible. So that is regarding the woman. She must cover all of her body in the prayer, including the feet. Only the face and the hands can be left exposed. Any big loose garment that doesn't identify the shape of the body doesn't identify the skin color through it. Category 2. That was category 1, women. What they have to wear in the prayer. Category 2, kids. Kids. In particular, boys. Boys, young boys under the age of 10. Young boys under the age of 10. 
The minimum. And remember, this is the minimum. You may, uh, you don't necessarily pray in the minimum. We're just talking about what is the minimum you need for your prayer to at least be valid. That doesn't mean you go on purposely only wear the minimum. But this is just the absolute minimum for your prayer to be valid. Because even with the woman there, imagine she was outside and there's lots of men around. Then even in that situation there, she may want to put on her gloves and she may want to put on her niqab, cover the face and the hands too. Outside where there's men and foreign men in front of you. But this is just the minimum. Minimum, normal, all the body covered, hands and face can be out. They can be uh, free. For the young boy under the age of 10, the absolute minimum is the private area. Just the private area. A pair of shorts. If a young boy under the age of 10 prayed in a pair of shorts, that just covers that private area. Which is basically, you could say, just around about where the belly button begins from that below now is going into your private area. So around about that belly button area, just below that, up until the top of your thigh. Just that private area, the private parts area. That private parts area, minimum, as long as that's all covered up, they got like a pair of shorts on, a small boy under the age of 10, technically the prayer would be valid. Third category, Third category, who's left now? We've talked about the women, we've talked about the young boys. Now all that's left is the men and young girls. Men and young girls. Al-wajib fiha satru ma bayna surra wa rukba The ruling for men and young kids, females, is that the minimum that must be covered minimum that must be covered is between the navel to the knee from the navel to the knee which is more than just the private parts just the private parts would be a small pair of shorts navel to knee now you need some big item covering all the way from where your belly button is covering your belly button going all the way down to covering including your knees up to there all that area there all that midriff area going down that's the minimum for a man to pray in. And for a, a young girl, for the validity of the prayer. Obviously, like we said, that doesn't mean you go and pray in just that. The sunnah is you cover yourself more, of course. We're just talking about rules. What is the minimum allowed for your prayer to at least count? For a man, as long as he gets like... Um, uh, the is that, What do you call him in English? Like, a, you, know how the, you know how the elders, I mean, these days now in the UK, who does it? People don't know what's going on. But the elders, in the olden times, the uncles will know. You get the, the cloth, just a square, rectangular cloth. You tie it around, and you make the little knots and everything, and that's it. Those, that cloth. Huh? Sarong. Sarong? Sarong? Uh, huh? No, no, you know, you know the the Scottish people, the kilt, like a kilt. If a man was wearing a kilt 
from covering his belly button all the way down to his knees. Normally their kilts are a bit short. All the way down to the knees covering it down there. Nothing on top, his chest and his arms, everything empty. Below the knees, all of that empty. You could pray and your prayer would be valid. As long as navel to knee is covered. You could have a, a big loose pair of shorts, a huge baggy, those Bermuda shorts or whatever they are. Big loose baggy pair of shorts that you put on and they go from the belly button all the way down to your knees. Big loose baggy shorts. Even when you go into Rukua, they don't get tight, they're loose and baggy. Because the condition is they got to be baggy enough that they don't identify your body. That condition, those two conditions apply to all of this. So even when the man's got a cover from the navel to the knee, it's got to be something he's using which doesn't identify the shape of his body and doesn't identify the color of his skin. So you could have a big pair of loose baggy shorts that even when you go into Rukur, they don't identify the shape of your body. You go into Sujood, they don't identify the shape of your body. But a normal pair of shorts, long shorts, or uh, three-quarter pants, that you put on, pull them up a bit so they go and cover your belly button, and then they go down and cover all the way to your knees. Normal pair of pants wouldn't do the job. Okay, they're covering all the area. You've done that much. You've fulfilled one condition. The skin color cannot be identified in all of that area. It's covered. However, the minute you go into Rukur with a normal pair of pants on, the minute you go into Sajud with a normal pair of pants on, what happens? Your body shape, your legs, your thighs, everything is clearly identified. The exact shape becomes known. And that is something which is a problem. It is not supposed to be like that in the prayer. The garments you wear, it's not just about covering that area. People just think it is about covering the area. So you put in a pair of trousers, jeans, whatever it might be, and you say, I'm covered. Yes, you're covered. I can't identify the skin color. You're right. But you haven't covered the shape of your body, which is a condition. Minute you go into Rukua, the whole shape of that area of your body, your, your, your waist, your hips, your posterior, your rear side, everything, everything. It's all identifiable. And that is incorrect. You're not supposed to pray in garments, in clothes that show the shape of your body. Because you're not really covered then. You're not really covered. If, if somebody can see the exact shape of your body, then how have you covered that area? Somebody can see the exact shape of your rear, then how have you covered yourself? Everybody can see the exact shape of it and everything. That is incorrect. So two things you have to bear in mind. Not just about covering. It's about covering and covering in a way where the shape of the body is covered too. Two things, not just the skin. People think it's covering the skin. Put the pants on, you've covered yourself. But you haven't covered the shape of your body. And that is important. Because if it was just about covering the skin, somebody could put on a pair of cycling lycra shorts and pray. Correct or not? Can you see the skin through those lycra type of shorts? You can't see the skin through it. You've covered yourself. But is your body actually covered? The full shape of your body can be seen. That is not covering the condition of the prayer in your garments. What is the difference between that and a pair of jeans? 
and a pair of pants. Truthfully, nothing really. Lycra is just more obvious. Cycling shorts, those cycling Lycra shorts, athletes kind of shorts. Those are just obvious, obvious. Pants and jeans are a bit less obvious, but they are still obvious. You go into Rokua, everybody's seen it. You go into the mosque, you go into Rokua, you can see exactly the shape of that person's body. So that is incorrect and it's a big mistake. People praying in those types of clothes. So really, really when it comes down to it, you shouldn't pray in these normal kind of pants and jeans and things that they sell in the shops. What everybody wears these days. You shouldn't pray in those. Because they're too tight and they aren't covering the shape of your body. So you should wear something either, get loose and baggy ones, get something loose and baggy, if you're going to wear those types of clothes. Or, when you pray, keep your pants on, no problem, but put some long uh, garment on on top. Put a thobe over the top, do something over the top. Even if at the minimum, you take off your jacket and you wrap it around your waist, minimum, then at least now, Rukhua Sujood, nothing can be seen anymore. Now you are covering the shape of your body. But that's an important point many people don't realize. They just don't realize that it is a condition with your garments to cover yourself and to cover the shape of yourself. Because if that wasn't a condition, then like we said, you could put on a lycra swimming suit, a lycra cycling suit and pray. And obviously you can't. Obviously everybody knows you can't do that with the clear shape of your body exposed. Pants and jeans and these types of tight clothes are the same thing. Your body is being exposed in the shape. So that's the key thing to remember. Two points. Gotta be thick enough so that your skin can't be seen through it. And it's gotta be loose enough that the shape of the body cannot be seen through it. Those two conditions in the prayer. For the clothes that you wear. Then the amount of clothes you wear with those two conditions on them, the amount you have to wear for women, it's the full body, just the face and the hands, they can leave out. Even the feet, they should wear something. Or their garment, their dress, whatever they're wearing, should be long enough that their feet are covered within it throughout the prayer. For the young boys, five, four, seven, eight, young kids, young boys, minimum they got to cover for their prayer to be valid is just the private area. Loose pair of shorts that are just private area, even their thighs at the bottom are exposed. Loose pair of shorts covering the private area, valid. The prayer is valid. Obviously, you don't do it. But we're just saying it's valid at the minimum. For men and for young girls, minimum for the men is navel to the knee with those conditions, loose and thick. They are the garments for a person during the prayer. For the men then, they were the bare minimums we'll be talking about there. For men, it's actually mentioned in the sunnah though, you shouldn't just pray with a garment only covering from navel to knee. That's the bare minimum if you got nothing else. Bare minimum for your prayer to count. What you should do as the hadith says, there's a hadith that mentions, you should wear something over your shoulders, meaning over the top or upper part of your body too. So you should be covered in the upper body and you should be covered in the lower body. Upper body, the hadith just mentions, wear some garment which comes over your shoulder. All these shirts and everything, where they come over our shoulders. So any type of garment that you wear, 
over your shoulders, covering the upper part of your body, that should be worn too. It's not necessarily a condition that all of your arms have to be covered. Some people, they believe this opinion that you can't pray with uh, short sleeves and a t-shirt. They say you can't pray with a t-shirt on. You can. That being exposed there, like we just said, you could take the t-shirt off and your prayer would still be valid at the minimum. Your prayer would still be valid. What if you got tattoos? If you got? Tattoos. No, if you got tattoos, pictures, other things, that's what we're talking about here. We're saying this is the minimum, minimum you could pray with that bottom navel to knee. You shouldn't though. You've got other garments. Alhamdulillah, everybody's got other garments. There's nobody here now like the Sahaba. Some of the Sahaba used to have just one garment. All they could do was navel to knee. Some of them were like that. Alhamdulillah, nobody's like that now. You got garments, the sunnah is you should cover the top part of your body. If you got tattoos, then yes, better. Good for you to cover all of that too. Especially if they're faces and uh, pictures of animals and people. Then yes, of course, wear a garment that covers all of that too. No doubt, that's better. Of course. But we're talking about in the normal sense, somebody doesn't have any tattoos, nothing else. It's permissible to pray in a t-shirt. It is permissible for the arms to be exposed. Some people, they say you can't. They have this opinion that you can't pray in a t-shirt. You gotta have a long sleeve shirt on. No proof for that. There is no proof saying that is a condition. So the minimum is the navel to the knee and you should, according to the sunnah, wear something on top as well. You should. Don't just say, I'm just gonna pray in navel to knee, just one garment down there, just covering that part because that's what the sunnah says. The sunnah doesn't say that. Sunnah just says that is the bare minimum if need be. The sunnah actually says you should cover the top two, wear properly your adornment. Adornment, does a person consider himself to be dressed nicely and good if he's wearing only navel to knee and he's exposed and bare everywhere else? That isn't dressing properly. The ayah in the Quran said, dress properly when you go to the mosques. So of course, you dress properly and cover everything. But that was just to explain if you were in a situation, you're back at that camping site again. If it came to that situation, you could pray with a minimum of navel to knee for the men, for the women, the whole of the body except the face and the hands. There's a point the Sheikh makes here. He says sometimes, and this is particularly in the Arab countries and those places, they have a thobe on top, which is thick enough. You can't really see the skin color through it. It's a nice, thick thobe sometimes. But occasionally, you do get some materials, particularly in the summer months, in hot countries, they obviously wear very thin material. So thin sometimes that you can blatantly see through the garment where the t-shirt is. T-shirt stops there, you can blatantly see under the arms and the rest of the arm exposed uh, from under the garment you can see. And in the same way, sometimes the garments are so thin that you can see the pants they're wearing under the thobe. They stand up. Through the thobe, especially if you're next to a window and the light's coming through, you can see the pants where they end under their thobe, because the thobe on top is so thin. If those pants end above the knee line, and you can see through 
up to them ending above the knee line so you can identify the rest of the leg and the color of the skin of the leg, then that's incorrect. You might say, but I've got this whole thoban all the way on the top. But it's not covering the color of the skin. And the pants below aren't going all the way to the knee. So you got to make sure of these things. These things have to be taken into consideration when praying. That's why they say, the imam, one type of person who should not be the imam, there are in books of fiqh, they mention certain types of characteristics that an imam should not have. If an imam has one of these characteristics, don't let him be the imam. One of them is that the imam cannot be a fasiq, an imam cannot be somebody who is a sinner, and these issues would come into it too. If the imam came in every day with tight pants on, so technically he's not even fulfilling the condition of covering the aura, he shouldn't be the imam. You shouldn't be the imam. He's coming with jeans on, coming with pants on, clean shaven. Those types of people should not be the imam. Because one of the conditions they say, or one of the prohibitions they mention is, the imam cannot be a sinner. The imam should not be an open sinner. Somebody who shaves his beard, sinner or not. Sinner. Clean shaven person should not be the imam. Comes in with pants and jeans on. Sinner. He's not fulfilling the conditions of the prayer properly. So this is important to take note of. That is condition number four. Condition number five, we'll begin it. Is to face the Qibla when praying. To face the Qibla when praying. When you start the prayer, you got to stand facing the Qibla. You could fulfill all these other conditions, but if you're facing the wrong direction and start praying, that's not correct. You've got to face the Qibla as a condition of the prayer. I will come to the details about it now. It's in the Quran. Wherever you go, then face towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram. So initially we know the direction of the Qibla where the Muslims used to pray was towards... Never used to be Mecca initially. Initially they used to pray towards what direction? What was the prescribed, legislated direction for Muslims to pray in initially? Jerusalem. So Muslims initially, in the early days, they were told, commanded Islamically, towards Jerusalem is where you pray. Then the ayat in the Quran came, telling them that actually now the Qibla is changed towards Mecca, the Kaaba. When that happened, there's a famous story that when this ayah was revealed in Medina, you know Masjid Quba. Masjid Quba, just a short distance away from Masjid Nabawi. When this ayah was revealed, the Prophet ﷺ sent one of the companions to go to Masjid Quba and let them know because they were still praying towards Jerusalem. The person went, when he got there, it was either Dhuhr or Asr time. One of the two prayers. They had already started praying. Obviously, they had already started praying towards Jerusalem still. They didn't know about the new revelation yet. So when he walked in, he announced out loud that the ayah has come. And he narrated it and he mentioned it to them whilst they were in the prayer. So they heard this from the back. That he's telling them the ayah in the Quran. He's saying now face towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the Kaaba, Makkah. They heard him saying all of this from the back. 
They were facing Jerusalem. What did they do? In the middle of the prayer, everybody moved. The imam moved. Everybody behind the whole rows moved towards the direction of the Kaaba and they carried on praying. In the middle of the prayer. As soon as that revelation came, ayat of the Qur'an. They heard the ayat of the Qur'an, that's it, the commanders come. In the middle of the prayer, the imam moved towards Mecca. Everybody, all of the rows moved in the middle of the prayer. And they finished their prayer towards Mecca. So the Qibla is towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram. A few points to note here. If you are in Mecca, in front of the Kaaba, you're there. When you're praying, you've got to face the Kaaba. you got to face the Kaaba. If you're right there in that circle, in that area, directly in the vicinity of where they're doing the tawaf, just around the circle there, you pray, you have to face directly to the Kaaba. You can't be facing at a slight diagonal so that if you were to keep walking forward, only a bit of your body would touch the Kaaba, the rest of you is missing. You can't do that. You gotta be facing your full body into the Kaaba. If you're there, in front of the Kaaba. What if you're in the mosque? Now, especially if you've been in the last 12 months, there are large parts of the mosque. You can be inside and there's no way you're gonna see the Kaaba. That's how big it's become now. So if you're in the mosque, but you can't actually see the Kaaba, then the best you can do and what you have to do Islamically is just face the direction of the Kaaba. And it's easy because the whole of the mosque, the floor is lined up to the Kaaba. In the Mecca, in the mosque, wherever you are in the mosque, there's large parts of the mosque where you can't see the Kaaba. All you have to do is look down, the slabs, the the marble, it is all fixed, lined up, facing the direction of the Kaaba. Wherever you are in the mosque, you're lost and you can get lost now. Wherever you are in the mosque, you just look down, wherever the marble is facing, face that way, that's going to the Kaaba. All of the marble goes towards the Kaaba. So that's what you do, just face that. Imagine you're outside of that, you're in Mecca somewhere. You're a couple of miles outside, you're in Mecca somewhere, you're doing something, and prayer time comes in, where are you going to face? Now all you have to do is face the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram. So you start praying in the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram. If you were to walk in a straight line forward from where you pray, you may end up missing the Kaaba. But it's okay. From that distance, it's not a condition to be hitting the Kaaba. It's a condition to be hitting the mosque. What if you're outside of that? You're in Medina. Then all you gotta do is face the direction of Mecca. Towards Mecca. You could go in a straight line all the way and even end up missing the whole mosque. You're here in the UK. What do you have to do? It becomes even more wider than that. You just gotta be facing between the poles. So we're in the west. The direction of the Kaaba is between, when we turn around and look towards Saudi, that is between the north and the south. We look up, we got the north, we look down, we got the south. Saudi is between the north and the south. As long as you're facing somewhere between the north and the south poles in that direction, it's sufficient. 
That's all that's required. People seem to think here in the UK, you gotta get your phones out, you gotta get the one, 118.257, whatever the degrees are. You gotta adjust your phone, you gotta double check, get five phones out. It's there, it's there, it's there, and then pray. It's not a condition. It is not a condition. From this country, generally, yes, even if you just get the general reading, it says 118, you get it roughly at 118, it's pretty much there, you just pray. There's no need for all this precision and precision and move this is magnetic and this and that and everything else. The direction you've got it, you just pray. That's why the scholars have given a fatwa. You know, in these countries when you build mosques, you may build a mosque and in your mosque, the direction of the qibla happens to be just at a slight diagonal. If you've got a mosque like this now, rectangular building, and the Qibla direction is at a slight angle to this way or to that way. Logistically, causes a lot of problems. Trying to make your rows at that slight degree. Especially if there's nothing helping you to try and make the rows at the slight degree is complicated. Everything, corners get complicated. At that slight degree, scholars say it's no problem. From that country, how far you are, that slight degree doesn't matter. If it's a slight degree, the exact reading, you can just make it straight into your rectangular building and it's completely permissible. And many mosques do that, completely permissible. Again, it's a mistake. People think that you've got to get the exact, exact degree and you got to face that. From this distance, you don't have to do that. From this distance, you don't have to be standing somewhere exact, exact, that you're going to go forward all the way and hit the Kaaba. You're not going to do that. That isn't a condition. So the further out you get, the more leeway you have. The closer you get, the less your leeway is. You're right in front of the Kaaba, you have zero leeway. Your full body got to be hitting the Kaaba. The further out you go, the more leeway you get. Because then it becomes more and more difficult. You're, especially in those days. Even these days. Even these days with all the technology, the accuracy of your phones... Allah alam how accurate they are, but I still doubt these readings and these point, 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 point are so accurate that if you did it exactly as it says, your body would go and hit the Kaaba if you're in a straight line. Most likely it wouldn't. It would give you somewhere within, even how accurate they are, I don't know, within a kilometer or something of the mosque. That's all it is. So you don't need to be on precision from here. It's just about the direction from here. We'll have to conclude on that for the prayer time, but there's a lot more to discuss on this condition yet. Just to let you know, it's going to be in a while now. Next two weeks, I'm away. So next two weeks, is there anything else? So maybe some other lecture might be on, but this class, for the prayer class, it's going to resume April the 30th. The last Sunday of April. Next Sunday, the Sunday after next, the next two Sundays are off for this class. Last Sunday, we'll come back 30th of April. Put a note in your phones for that. 30th of April, uh, it'll end up being about 7.30. 7.30, Maghrib's going to be about 8.30 in those days. 7.30, 30th of April for this to resume. Next two weeks, keep yourselves logged on to the accounts and give your numbers for the updates. There may still be some other class going on, some other lectures going on, inshallah. Uh, Saturday 29th, there's a conference in Bradford as well. So there's still events going on. But for this one, to continue on this one, it'll be Sunday the 30th, 7.30pm insha'Allah.